the third chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. <clears throat> Melba and I, have, my wife and I have enjoyed being with you this week. Thank you for hosting us and allowing us to worship with you. Thank you so much. John, chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to them, most to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him and said, answered and said to him, Are you a, the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. John 3.16, of course, is the verse that we will focus on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a promise. Yes. What an amazing promise. The story found in this portion of Scripture is an interaction between 
one of the rulers of the Jews and, of course, our Lord Jesus. The setting may have been Jerusalem, and it may have followed the Lord's dramatic presence in the temple. Some scholars think that following the turning of the tables, the Jewish leaders wanted to know who this teacher, who this person is, who had the audacity to go into the temple and drive out the money changers. And so we know from the scripture the event happened at night or in the evening, at least late in the evening. And if you can imagine in your mind's eye, Jesus has, and his disciples have found a place of rest. They very likely were eating their, a late meal. It was a quiet, private place. If you can imagine the hushed conversations as they come toward the end of the day, they're expecting nothing dramatic. It's just been an unusual day, and they're weary, and they're closing that day up. But in that quiet time, there's an announcement. Somebody wants to see Jesus. And through the doorway walks this man in, in apparel that indicates that he's a person of authority person of leadership. Imagine the atmosphere, if you will. The Lord with some of his disciples, all of whom are common people, and suddenly Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews, steps into this humble room in the shadows of the night and participates in one of the most important conversations that have ever happened in the world. Nicodemus a wealthy man, a ruling person, clearly declares the purpose of entering this quiet reprieve is to know who this man is. He says, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you have done unless God is with him. It's interesting to me that Jesus' response to Nicodemus' introductory statement seems abrupt. You ever been in a situation where there's a conversation going on and suddenly somebody just interjects something in that conversation that turns it completely in a different direction? Jesus, he says, we know. Nobody can do the signs that you're doing unless God's with him. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If I were Nicodemus, I would say to myself, where'd that come from? That's not what I was wanting to know. What does it even mean? In fact, Nicodemus indicates that. His response is, what are you talking about? But you see, Jesus stops the compliment and draws him to the center of the matter. Nicodemus wants to know who he is, where he's come from, what he thinks he's doing. And Jesus politely but abruptly tells him, I'm here about the kingdom. I'm here about changed lives. Nicodemus is concerned about politics. He's concerned about government. He's concerned about 
the Jewish relationship with the Romans and what Jesus doing, what, how that will affect that. Jesus turns directly away from that line of conversation and he, and he calls Nicodemus to understand that he must be born again if he's going to enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Nicodemus' response is typical. He says, and you would too. How can a person be born again? If that hadn't been part of your life, you'd say, what in the world are you talking about? Here's an adult man who's just been told he needs to be born again. You see, it's perfectly logical. It's not possible to be born twice physically. In the natural, physical sense, no one ever thought of being born again. But, but the Lord is calling Nicodemus to a clear understanding that what he's about is not physical life. What he's about is spiritual life. It's more than just existence. It's life. Linsky said it this way, by telling Nicodemus that the, in such a lucid and simple language, Jesus sums up the entire gospel in one simple sentence, so rich in the content that if a man had only these words, if a person had only these words that Jesus spoke, his life could be changed. His life could be transformed. Three simple thoughts this morning. The problem the persons, <laughs> the purpose, and the power. This whole conversation is wrapped around those four thoughts, the problem. The problem is implied. Nicodemus wants to know what Jesus is doing and why he's doing what he's doing. And the Lord Jesus wants to wake him up and realize it's not physical, it's not government, it's spiritual. You see, the, pro the implied problem is we're far from God. We're not alive. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, whether you know it or not, you're dead. Spiritually, you're blind and deaf and dead. Oh, you may be functioning in life, but that's not what life's really about. Life's about spiritual life victory and truth. Jesus implies to Nicodemus that he's not alive. That's what he's saying. You need to be born. Can, can you imagine this teacher, this man who spent his entire life studying the law and the government of the Jewish people, being told by a rabbi that he's dead, that he's spiritually dead. You need to be born. Jesus is trying to help him understand that there's much more to life than what he sees and touches. And by the way, let me remind you this morning, there's much more to life than what you see and touch. But it's interesting that the Lord gives us in this amazing verse, he gives us not only the, the implication of the problem, and that is that all of us are lost, without spiritual life in Christ. 
But he introduces us to the persons, the people who matter. Notice he says to us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, the first person is the Father. There's no reason to think that Jesus means any other God than God the Father, the God of covenant, the God of relationship, the God who loves, who participates in life. It's personal. It's moral. He's not just talking about an entity in eternity somewhere. He's talking about his father, his relational father, the God he knows. He's the father of all, the holy one who is above all and separate from all, but he is God. He loves. I'm, I am thankful he does. Uh-huh. If you know him this morning, You're thankful he does. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Uh Can't comprehend it. It's beyond our comprehension that the person we know is the second person of the Trinity, the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would divest himself of of all of the marks of his divinity and come and live among us. But he loved us enough to come down. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. John 1, 1 and 2 remind us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the Word was, I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's one of my favorite sections of all of the Scripture. In the beginning was the Word. What's John telling us? Jesus Christ is God's communication to man. You want to know who God is, you must know Him through Jesus Christ. That's a whole message in itself, and I promise we're not going to go there this morning. There's not time. But also, he reminds us in John 1 that the Word became flesh. And some translations say it this way, and tabernacled with us, or pitched his tent right beside our tent, or lives where we live. He came to be part of us, to participate in our life. God's invasion of humanity was through the miracle of the Spirit's interaction with Mary. And we know him as the God-man, Jesus Christ. The God of covenant and law and grace willingly offered his Son as a gift for our redemption. But there's, there's another section in this verse that reminds us of persons as well, and that is, He so loved the world that whosoever believes. You and I are included in this promise. But not just you and I, every person, everyone, he loves us. The foundation of Jesus' statement to Nicodemus changed the direction of faith. It changed the foundation of faith. Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus reminds us that the focus of spiritual life 
is connected to people and to relationship and to forgiveness and life. Suddenly it's not this do and you shall live, but it's this believe and you shall live. There's a fellow in my church that every once in a while he'll testify. I'm trying to teach him to think differently, but it takes time for old folk to change their minds. But he'll testify and say, I know God's forgiven me, and I hope I get to go to heaven someday. <laughs> and I've I politely stopped him and said, my brother, if your faith is in Christ, you don't have to hope. It's as sure as the promise of God's word. He's offered to us the life. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in. It doesn't matter your history or your culture or your color. It doesn't matter any of that. None of that matters. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's he. He is the one. Jesus' statement forever changes the focus of life. He shall never perish. <laughs> Our bodies are forever getting older. Sister told me that somebody had a t-shirt that, that said something about it's, all, it's happening to all of us and it's on the backside it's get, we're getting old. <laughs> That's not a direct quote but it's probably not even close but <clears throat> whether we like it or not we aren't going to live in this life forever. And just existing forever is really not all that appealing to me anyhow. It really isn't. I don't have any aspirations to live to be 100 years old. I, I don't. If the Lord lets me do that, I suppose I'll be at peace with it. But, but uh, that's, not a, that's not high on my list of priorities. But I do want to live in Him. And He offers to us a new paradigm. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit that gives life. You see... He changes the focus of life. He changes the fulcrum of eternity. It's through faith in Christ. He is the tipping point of life. Faith in Christ. Do you trust him this morning? Do you trust him? But then let's, let's spend just a few minutes talking about the power, the problem, persons, the purpose, the power. Love is the power that changes lives. He so loved the world. I know you're thinking, no, it's the blood of Christ that changes my life. It is, but it's love that drove that blood. He loves us. I don't know you I know some of you, some, but in a crowd this side, size, it's very likely that there's somebody who says, when, when you talk about the Father loving me, I wrestle with that because of something in your history or past. Well, I want to tell you that this Father is not that Father in the first place. And in the second place, it is at the core of who he is. He is love. He doesn't just love us, he is love. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, whatever he touches is marked by his love. 
You ever thought about the, the God is statements in the scripture? Think, for instance, he is present. He is powerful. He is a person. He is mercy. He's grace. He's truth. He's king. He's sovereign. He's light. He's life. He's compassion. He's truth. He's embracing. He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. He is love. If you ever know true love in any aspect, it's because God has allowed you to touch that and see it and know it. He, he is love. The, the, the Greek word for that, of course, carries the thought of a, of a love that is deep and powerful and loves without regard to reception. Some of us can only, we can only express love when we receive it, but this love loves past how you respond. I'm thankful it does because I couldn't respond to him properly. If it had been dependent on me to respond properly, I would have never found him as my savior. But he loves past how I respond. He loves past the direction of my life. It, 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 it's direct, directly connected to the revelation of who God is. It is his purpose. If, we will, if you will, he loves the world. Not the earth, but the people. You and me and the people with whom you interact. You're born to receive his forgiveness and his love. That's truly the only way to enjoy the fullness of life. Is to receive his forgiveness and his love. It is his prerogative. It is his person. It is his power, his love. Martin Luther wrote of these words of Jesus, words which are able to make the sad happy, the dead alive, and if only a heart believes, changes them for eternity, trusting Christ. Again, I mentioned earlier that, that, that you don't know me, but but uh, talking about the love of Christ for me is an incredible experience because of the incredible transformation he made in my life. I grew up in the church, but I also grew up around situations that created lots of consternation and darkness and misunderstanding and anger and bitterness. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I said, uh, Fred, where, where do you suppose I would be if it weren't for Christ? And he said, I can tell you exactly where you'd be. You'd be in southern Idaho, a bitter, cranky, sour old man. <laughs> and he's right. But Christ came. <laughs> he came into my life. And turned that darkness into light. And turned that hatred and anger. Turned it out. And gave me in its place love and grace. And the beauty is, I don't have to live with the identity of what was. I can live with the identity of what is. <laughs> it's a joy. Occasionally still, I'll face a situation in life. And after we've gone through it, I'll say to Melba, 
Wow, where did that come from? Where did that reaction come from? But because that's not who I was. And then we'll say, oh, we know. That's who he is. Living in me and through me. He makes it possible for us to be who we couldn't possibly be apart from him. You must be born again. It's interesting to me if you continue reading Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus had to have marked him deeply because uh, if you continue reading the gospel story, you'll see that during the plot to arrest Jesus, Nicodemus uh, confronts the council by saying, does our law judge a man without giving him a hearing? I confess that likely took a lot of courage for Nicodemus because he knew the atmosphere that he was speaking in, but he'd seen and heard something that was happening in his heart. And uh, though he initially approached after dark, now he offers defense from the counts for the council. And later, he openly asks for the body of Jesus Christ and participates in his burial. Nicodemus was changed by the invitation Jesus gave him to be born again. Closing this morning, let me ask you this. Are you born again? It's not just a phrase. It's not just coined words that evangelicals use. It's a spiritual reality. You can know new life in Jesus Christ. I was pastoring a fellow in Canada and God had radically changed his life. And about two years into that, one Sunday morning, he just popped up out of his pew and he said, Pastor, forgive me, forgive me for interrupting, but I have to tell you something. And I said, what's that? He said, for the first time in my life, I'm free. For the first time in my life, I'm alive. I thought I was alive back in that old life. But this week, God showed me that through his forgiveness, I'm really alive. If you're hungry to know that, he's here this morning. I'm asking Barnett's to come. Let's stand together.